Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Walker Bueller on the Dodgers, on Nolan Shanowell, and on uh, I mean, just a bunch of other stuff. We got to talk Julio Rodriguez, man. J-Rod and the Mariners are the story in Major League Baseball. Kyle Harrison set to make his Major League debut for the San Francisco Giants, an intriguing left-handed pitching prospect. And then we do have to dissect the Mason Wynn, Pete Alonzo first hit ball thing for a minute. Before all that, Just Baseball Show is presented by BetMGM. Use promo code JustBaseball at sign up and start betting with the king of sportsbooks. Jack and Aram on Monday this week. Peter was in a crazy Airbnb, but uh, we're, we're set to talk ball uh, to, to open your week. You ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to roll. We got some, I would say mostly like just interesting topics, like a lot, a lot of things to discuss. Um, a lot of interesting things happening around baseball to kind of get us through the dog days here in late August. Yeah. So something that I know Peter would agree with, and I'm sure you'll agree with it too. Like Peter's a huge fan of mentioning like old Hoss Radborn and Mordecai three finger yes. Brown. If, if you're breaking a record that was previously held by someone named Milt Stock, you yes. did something very impressive. And, and that's what Julio Rodriguez did. It was a four-hit day, a five-hit day, a four-hit day, and a four-hit day. Mm -hmm. 17 hits over a four-game stretch is the most in Major League history. Oh, by the way, he swiped five bags. Oh, by the way, he drove in eight. Oh, by the way, he had four extra base hits. I want to say maybe five extra base hits. Two nukes during that time. He scored five runs. A couple numbers that are fascinating about Julio that we're going to get to here, but he broke a record that stood since 1925. And the thing that's circulating right now is Julio Rodriguez had as many hits over the past four games as the New York Yankees did over the past four games. And I think that's pretty hilarious. But I I mean, this guy, like as soon as we chalk this up as the sophomore slump, Mm -hmm. he says F you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. This is one of the more insane stretches. And this is what you're going to get with guys like J-Rod and and, and Michael Harris and, and Bobby uh, Witt. I'll, I'll, I was about to say, I'll throw Bobby Witt Jr. in that conversation, all of which freak talents hit the shit out of the ball. Probably a little swing happy. Um, you know, you look at J-Rod, he's running like a 35% chase rate this year. So like wh- when it's hot, it's going to be hot. And everybody else felt like they've been enjoying that stretch. And we haven't had that J-Rod stretch. Yeah. J-Rod stretch has been better than everybody's because he might be more of a freak than everybody as well. 
So I was I was actually ready when you said swing happy. I was like, oh, Ellie De La Cruz is also in that grouping. I think Ellie's oh, yeah. kind of same one where you're waiting for the stretch and it's and it's insane. And Ellie did something insane with that triple in the air. It was a little league home run and that was nuts and it was beautiful. And I love the Great American Ballpark gets invested like that. But yeah, man, I think Julio. I don't want to say he's the best one out of the four that we just named, but. I mean, this guy didn't play center field before spring training in 2022, and he's now one of the best outfielders in baseball by outs above average. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a master at the craft, and he's 22 years old. Yep. Just yeah. Just fascinating that, to me. He made himself faster, which is just like yeah. one of those. That's why, like, I'm never going to rule a guy out who's, you know, his, his stock. Like, he's big, and he's, like, he's a strong dude. Um, like, He's not a guy that got lighter. Uh, he he got stronger and then somehow got faster. Like I'll never rule those guys out from being able to just like flip a switch and get things rolling. Like clearly he figured something out um, and and it's just hit things into another gear. And this was a big statement series by by the Mariners. They sweep the Astros who, you know, I mean, the Astros are playing pretty good ball overall. They're a pretty darn good team. And, you know, they, they run through some of their better arms. And um, I thought, you know, the Astros didn't play terribly. It was just the Mariners played better. And J-Rod kind of leading that charge. This feels like this team is coming together at the right time. Obviously, they got to do it a little bit longer, and we got plenty right. of season left. But this is a team that we all liked going into the year. I don't think anybody liked them as much as Peter. And, <laughs> um, I mean, this is why you play 162, right? For both the player's sake and the, the team's sake. It's like, even when it seems like there's no shot, it's going to be turned around. It, you might have to go crazy but you can turn it around and both the Mariners and J-Rod are going crazy. And the thing is like a, a world series glimmer doesn't feel crazy right now because you look at the pitching staff. I mean, yeah. last week on the show, we were talking about George Kirby and how he's on a historic pace where he can mm -hmm. be eight or more K's per nine and one or fewer walks per nine. Mm -hmm. Kirby's been amazing. Kirby's been one of the best pitchers in baseball and the most consistent pitcher in baseball. Logan Gilbert has become must watch for me. This guy's yeah amazing to watch because he has the chance to go to go the distance every single night. Bryce Miller is regaining that form that we saw at the beginning. And there was a little bit of a dive. It's almost like the suspension bridge of his rookie season where he dipped yep. after a really strong start. And now he's coming back into his own at the right time. And Luis Castillo, by the way, the oh, yeah, that guy. extension has been nails for yeah. them. So and they're I, I about to get uh they're about to get woo back. Um, unfortunately, Wu. Hancock's shoulder issue might hit the IL, but now they just flip him back with Brian Wu, and it's just like it's just crazy stuff. I, I think they have the legs to make it into the postseason. And if they get in, I'm not counting that rotation out. I'm not counting that bullpen out. And with the way Julio's swinging it, he can put an offense on his back right now. Yeah. It looks like the team from last year, but but better. Um, yeah. it just wasn't playing that way and and now they are yep uh last couple notes on julio rodriguez i saw this thanks to addison for compiling twitter at yankee world but without yeah the o. he's the uh, man he's yeah, the man right I, I love him yeah um julio you're, he did a great job of like compiling at the four-day change in julio's numbers in notable statistical categories and and the three that jumped out to me Batting average, obviously, it was a 22-point jump. 256 on August 15th, 278 on August 19th. On August 15th, he had a 751 OPS. He's now sporting an 800 OPS. That changes how you look at a year entirely. But the one that jumps out to me, because he swiped five bags, because he was playing elite defense during the stretch, how many war to a tenth do you think this guy gained in four games? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, th I I think I think he did a full one point one, one point one exactly. Let's go. One point one exactly. He was. I swear I didn't see that tweet. That's crazy. On August fifteenth, he was three point seven WAR. On August nineteenth, he's four point eight. Oh. This guy got a win in four days. Holy shit. That's I would have never shot that high. I would never have shot that high if it weren't for the glove too. It's um, unprecedented. And the stolen did. bases and everything. Uh, I mean, it, the last thing I'll say on this, it to see those kind of jumps in your numbers on August 
yeah, I guess 15th to the 20th, whatever, whatever it was when he hasn't really missed time. Like it, 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 early in the season, it's like doing a cannonball into a, a bathtub. But right. this late into the season, it's like doing a cannonball into a lake, usually having a, a good game or a good series to make those kind of like ripples through the water. Yeah. Um, that just shows you how insane that cannonball was because it's a lake. It's it's August 20th. You got a big body of work here. You got a yeah. big body of water. And J-Rod still was able to send ripples across the entire body. One of the words that I really don't like using on, on a per day basis, and then we'll move to Kyle Harrison here quickly. One of the words that I don't like using on a per day basis, whether it's here, whether it's like calling games is the word unbelievable. I feel like unbelievable yeah. is used very, too much. Very, very, very overused because it's like if if, if something's unbelievable every couple of days, then we, we must have trouble weird. believing shit. Like, yeah. like, I, don't, I don't understand. There's a ton of precedent for things that are unbelievable. Yeah. But I will say some of the things that we've seen Ellie De La Cruz do this year. I pretty much chalked up as unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And this is the first stretch of ball in the last couple of years. Judge last year, I thought was pretty unbelievable. During yes. Stretches and Otani obviously is unprecedented. His whole existence is unbelievable. But what Julio Rodriguez did, and I don't mean this in a cliche way at all. I use this word very sparingly. What he just did in the past four days is unbelievable. No doubt. No doubt. I think that's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, hitting for a cycle is an unbelievable. It's very impressive. It happens right? a good bit. Yeah, yeah. Like a no hitter is is not unbelievable. Uh, it's it's wow. Um, this is pretty unbelievable. I'm with you. It's never before seen. Um, another team that is in the height of a wild card chase mm-hmm. right now. On the inside, looking down on teams that are clipping at their heels, is the San Francisco Giants. And they call a guy up in Kyle Harrison, who is widely considered one of the better left-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. And you would agree with that. But where he stacks in one of is, I think, where you disagree. And before we get into the hate that you've gotten, I'm on your side. It's hard to look at a guy that's walking seven per nine in AAA and say, this guy's the best left-handed pitching prospect in the game. Frankly, I don't think he is. Is he striking no. out the world? Yes. But is he walking seven per nine? Yes. Yes. I, so it was funny. We got, I got um, knocked around a little bit today because uh, we tweeted from our like main account. I think like Elijah, our social media guy tweeted like our number 91 ranked prospect Kyle Harrison is getting called up. as like a celebration. And just all the quote tweets from Giants fans are like 91. The top left-handed pitching prospect, 91, you, your list is trash. And just like, just a bunch of responses like, this is trash. Like, this is garbage. I think Kyle Harrison can be special. Um, And you know what? I don't hate the idea of bringing him up at this point, Jack, because it, the, the command has stalled out. And maybe working with a big league pitching coach, like when you're at this point, when you know you can miss big league bats, which he can't. He could miss big league bats yesterday. He could miss big league bats last year, but he just turned 22 a week ago and obviously has a lot of time. I, I just, I, I just think there's some tweaks that need to be had. And I don't know if it's going to happen at the big league level or what it is, but you might as well see what he can do up there at this point. Fastball is good enough to come out of the pen, I think, and, and shut down big league hitters. Like it is a big whiff pitch, but he tweaked his slider to a sweeper or from a sweeper to more of this like harder, more vertical slider. And the whiff numbers have been way down on that. And and that's an interesting wrinkle in it for me. And then you factor in that the changeup, which was a, a plus pitch for me last year, it's been so not there for him this year that over his last six outings, he's thrown it six times total because oh. over the course of the season, he's thrown it for a strike only 40% of the time. So I think you're going to see Kyle Harrison go out there and throw 60, 70% fastballs. The thing is, I've been on the same show, pounding the table saying, Brian Wu's great. Bryce Miller's great with just fastballs. How about Joe Ryan? Joe Ryan's great. Joe Ryan's great. All those guys throw a lot of strikes. If Kyle Harrison goes there and has this, you know, epiphany and starts pounding the strike zone with that fastball, he could go 70% fastball and churn out quality starts. So he can help them. And I think it's worth the shot when you need an arm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was funny that like I can have six, seven hundred words explaining like with detail about why he's still a top one hundred prospect. Why nope, he's don't care not why he's not an elite 
top 20 prospect based on pitch shapes, pitch data, uh, you know, regression in both fastball shape, slider shape, and feel for changeup. And I got bodied. That's okay. I hope he dominates. And I, it, it will suck because I'll get further bodied. But I hope he dominates because it's his career. And honestly, it would be really cool. And he's been one of my favorite guys to watch. That's why he's been so frustrating this year. It's like you can see how special he can be. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's been a step backwards this year. There's no there's no other way around it. It's been like I think you can say it's been closer to DL Hall than it has been to. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the last lefty who has come up and been dominant, but it, it there's a lot of DL Hall here. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think too. Like it's not really Mackenzie Gore. Who's no. the last lefty that's come up? Who's and the, been like who's the last like Lodolo had a nice stretch. See ya. Like who's the last left-handed pitching prospect who's come up and just. Like big name prospect comes up shoves. Like Lazardo had a rough go of it. No, he yeah, he was out of prospect relevancy by the time he, you know, he got it going again. Dude, I have Julio Urias, I guess. Yeah, maybe, maybe I guess. Snell. Maybe Blake Snell. Urias. That's, that's Snell. really long time ago. Yeah, it's 2016. They shows you how hard like shows you how hard this shit is. So if you're already a volatile profile, like I'm gonna tread lightly and well, if they were bringing Harrison up in this like swingman multi-inning relief role, I think he could thrive in that. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what starter Kyle Harrison looks like. I will say the last two to three to four outings, some of the best command he's had all year. So let's hang our hats on that and hope he keeps it rolling because this giant seems fun. And I, I think it's worth a shot. I do. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I'll say is one of the other counter arguments I saw to the command woes was, Oh, well, he's throwing with the full ABS system Tuesday through Thursday and then the challenge system. Okay, I get it Tuesday through Thursday, but if you are walking seven per nine, you're walking seven per nine. Like that number doesn't go from seven to three and a half without the ABS. Because of the ABS now. No, like that just doesn't happen. So he's had bad command this year, but I'm, I'm very curious too. I'm curious as to what the San Diego Padres are doing right now. And there were a ton, a ton, a ton of prospect promotions on Sunday. I don't have the full list in front of me. I can get it quickly. The most notable one was 17-year-old Ethan Salas going from high A to double A after catching five games in Mm -hmm. Fort Wayne. And I think like hitting well below his weight like it was i don't know i don't know what we're doing here um oh you know well maybe there's more things at hand ethan salas we've talked about how special of a talent he is and how insane it is that he's going to high a (laughs) how we thought that was crazy he plays nine games there catches five like struggles and now he's going to double um it's interesting i it's it's fascinating uh i'm i'm I don't know. I'd love to hear more thoughts and I'm sure the local writers and and some beat writers will be all over that. And we'll get a, you know, a quote or two from, from the madman that is AJ Preller. But I mean, you know, Jackson Merrill to double a with a quick push made sense. (laughs) Your, your 17 year old catching prospect. He turned 17 on June 1st, by the way, wild shit. It, nuts. Um, it was Salas. It was Robbie Snelling, who's another top 100 guy. That one I can understand, too, because he's a pitcher and he he pounds the strike zone with three pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Graham Pauly, Jacob Marcy, and Nathan Martorella. The last two were consistent bats in high A, totally. Um, Dylan Lesko and Samuel Zavala to high A from low A. Lesko, I mean, he was You, you drafted him early. I'm, again, the arms, oh. I get it. It's different. Dylan head to low A. That made a lot of sense. Yeah, that, he looks super high school guy that looked awesome. Yeah. But Salas is the one that kind of like leaves you scratching your head. And Jeff Sanders of the San Diego Union Tribune was the one that compiled that big list. Um, I think the Padres have two of the best beat guys in baseball. And Jeff Sanders and in Dennis Lynn, who's their Dennis Lynn, yeah. beat writer. does a great job. Um, I, I'd be very curious to hear Preller's thoughts because on the outside looking in, this feels like panic city population one yeah it's just like let's push every prospect up it's, so for next the year big league team is on the outside looking in so let's save my fucking job yeah yeah look at all these prospects that we've reloaded with and Ethan yeah Salas is already in double a yeah i know that's the thing people like and, and Salas is fucking awesome and i don't want, i don't want to be negative on this but people are like wow look at ethan Salas. Bro's just along for the ride. They, they're just telling him to go up. Like it's in, it was wow. Look at Ethan Solace in low way. That was incredible. 
Yep. It was wow, look at Ethan Salas holding his own in high A. Not only getting the bump to double, it's not wow, look at Ethan Salas. It's what are they doing to this kid? Yeah, what are they doing to this guy? See, um, obviously he's going to be fine. He'll survive. Like he's not going to get, he's not going to harm himself by playing in double a, but it's like, kid's going to get humbled by that pitching. I promise you. And if he has better than a league average WRC plus, like you can dunk on me more than giants fans have been recently. Like I, there's no shot. I hope, I hope he does. It'd be an unbelievable story, but there's no way. There's no way, man. I mean, that felt like total panic mode. And I I think Ethan Salas needed to do the mature thing and say, listen, AJ, I appreciate the idea, but I think I need more time in high end. I'm not ready for this yet, man. Um, I need to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a little bit more time. Like my facial hair just started coming in. (laughs) Real quick, 60 seconds on the Mason Wynn, Pete Alonzo thing. Mason Wynn, shortstop, (laughs) top prospect in the Cardinals system. Legs out an infield single, throw goes to Pete Alonso, takes him off the bag, and Pete Alonso, in Pete Alonso fashion, just kind of seemed oblivious and threw the ball into the stands. He said he felt horrible about 20 times in about two minutes, uh, and then he gifted Mason Wynn a nice bottle of tequila and an autographed bat. I I just think it was a total braid fart, like Pete Alonso said. Uh, it was funny, because like when it happened, I was like, if anybody other than Pete Alonso did this, I would assume malice. Yes. And that's why when I put out the clip, I was like giving him the like benefit of the doubt here. I'm assuming it was a total accident. Like he's not a scumbag. Um, and a lot of people were like, he doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt here. Like blah, 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 blah. Yeah, people hate Pete Alonzo for some reason. Well, so it's just like you, you want, you want the story of like, he did it. Like it's just, that's how people, people want to see that shit. I, I don't know why. Sensationalism. Um, and then I did see like him, like doing this with the ball, you know, the little, like, so that part, I was like, whoa, that part's a little weird, but still I'm like, I, I need to hear a word on this. Like, why would he do that on purpose? Um, I thought Pete Alonzo couldn't handle it any better. I thought Mason Wynn couldn't handle it any better. And it was just a really funny moment. Like they got the ball back. If they didn't get the ball back, that would have been like, yeah, then it's a different moron. Yeah. I would have been yelling it, but Pete Alonso is a space cadet, man. Like we know that, right? Like that's it. He's a space cadet. And, and he, he put it on display there. Yeah. So uh, Mason Wynn, last thing on him, going to be really good for a really long time. I think this is the start of an awesome career. That guy is tooled out beyond belief. And if you like watching O'Neill Cruz, you like watching Ellie, um, it's not the power that those two have, but defensively, he's there. He's got that arm, and he can fly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, up to ninety nine on the bump with like a hammer slider. Uh, he, he's a he's a freak athlete, and I think it's a changing of the guard there in in St. Louis. I think kind of a, a sign of the new times with yeah. uh, with a squad that's going to be very different looking next well, year, and Win will be part of it. DeYoung and Taylor Motter took the Burger King crown, and Mason Win is now wearing an actual crown. Okay. Without further ado, Walker Bueller. Got to show it off at the beginning. Benchmark is the move. Mm-hmm. Big bottle, plastic bottle. Big bottle, I plastic bottle. It, I can feel it squishing in my hands. This is really exciting. But, I mean, there's a lot of it. So, I assume you you consume a lot of it on any given night, yeah? Um. Yeah, I mean, this benchmark is a, a lower uh, price point bourbon. Um, kind of a rite of passage for you fellows that are getting getting into this. Cheers, Arm. Um, Cheers. So, yeah, this would, you know, a lot of times be mixed with some things or kind of enjoyed, you know, on the uh, on its own. The old uh, high school wives' tale, I guess I should say college for all you listeners, but the, the <laughs> junior year of college, 21 plus. Yeah, yeah. junior year. Yeah. 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 For me, that would have been senior year, too. I was very young. Got you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I believe that the lower price point alcohol keeps you drunk less amount of time. Got it. So those would be consumed uh, over a full day. Um, not yeah. a full one of those, but those would typically be split. Got you. This is very sweet, Walker Bueller. Yeah. Yes. By the way, this is Walker Bueller who we're talking to. I don't oh, think yeah. you said your name when we started, yeah. started this. So. That'd be no. Sorry about that. Um, all right, we're going to jump in. We're going to talk Dodgers stretch of wins. Um, I know Aram's got a question about a, another L.A. guy that just made his big league debut this weekend, and it came very, very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. J-Rod, too, and then we'll wrap with, with Shane McClanahan. But 
Starting with the Dodgers, man, I mean, they, they lose a ball game and then they don't. They're winning two in a row and they go into the double off day. Uh, it was 11 in a row before the loss. And then now it's what 13 to 14. These guys are, dude, like we're, we're looking at the numbers. We talked about it end of last week. Lynn's been standing on his head. Rosario been standing on his head. Kelly has been awesome. Everybody is all systems go. Yarborough, another guy too. Is that? And you've been around this team more over the last couple of weeks. How infectious is what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first off, you can look at kind of the, you know, the big picture of, of our team. And I, I saw some stat in the last like four or five Augusts. Uh, the record in August for us has been ridiculous. And, um, you know, I think you can credit a lot of that to the front office this year, you know, especially, but you talk trade deadline, getting through, getting to August, and then we start playing well, right? Like the front office has to have a feel for the clubhouse and the team and the, and the needs. And, and seemingly most of the guys that we trade for end up uh, kind of spiking in performance, whether that be from, how we scout or how we play or the energy of the clubhouse or getting out of a bad situation or whatever, whatever it may be. Most guys that get traded to us end up performing pretty well. And, um, you know, that's not always the case, right? There's, there's some, you know, notorious trades of, for guys that have gone really well and and then they sometimes don't go so well. And, and seemingly for us the past few years, they've, they've gone really well. So I think you kind of add all that in with the talent and, um, you know, some of these younger guys are now not really rookies anymore. They're kind of, they're big leaguers and, and kind of figuring it out that way. And, uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty cool little run. Arm real quick. Um, I've heard that saying in college football about freshmen, like at, at the point, I think week eight or week nine, these guys aren't freshmen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see that. So now do you feel like a James Outman has fully established himself. He's comfortable with who he is as a ball player. And it's really all systems go through the end of this year. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think so. I, you know, you look at, you look at the way that even major league baseball qualifies a rookie, right. And and all of these guys have exceeded those limits, right. They're not rookies next year. And, and so if you want to approach them that way this year, I, I think that's very fair, right. If, if the season started tomorrow, they wouldn't be in the, in the hunt for rookie of the year. Right. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of that kind of rookie status comes with getting used to the lights and the size of the stadium and the fact that you recognize every guy on the other team. And, um, you know, you do that six, eight, ten times. Some guys still get nervous and all of that stuff, even guys that have played for 10, 12, 15 years, right? But um, that initial kind of this thing is bigger than me or the assumption that you don't belong there, I think, has long faded for those guys. So the, that that idea that a lot of players have, have come over in recent memory, especially this year specifically, and I'm sure you've probably seen some of like the viral like posts about like this player was at X number of OPS or ERA and then they're at Y after they go to the Dodgers. You, you mentioned a lot of the, the different situations in which a guy can you know kind of kick it into another gear. Um, and, and of course it's nuanced and there's specific situations, but is there one thing maybe that stands out more than others as to why the Dodgers specifically seem to have this happen more? Like if you could try to boil it down to like one most frequent reason why, what would it be? Um, I mean, I, I think information is huge, right? And we talk about all the analytics and all of this stuff now. And, you know, I think our front office obviously does a good job with it, but I think there's a couple of different avenues that you can really study that, right? In terms of players that have kind of been pushed out by other organizations that we get, and then they're all stars, right? That's one kind of fold of it. And, and then the trade deadline is a, a second, right? You kind of, you know, I, I guess the, you know, the money ball technique of old school analytics, which is kind of hard, a weird thing to say, old school analytics, but was like trying to accentuate accentuate strengths that that other people didn't really understand right they use Euclid and Hatterberg as kind of these the you know the evidence of that in in Moneyball right but you know for us that's that's Muncie and Chris Taylor guys that weren't the same players get to us retool redevelop and and become all-star level players right so to me that's very um evident both in you know, the minor league guys that we have signed. And then now the trade deadline, I think, I think it's all kind of under one, one hood. 
Are you a baseball movie guy or are you like, if I'm watching a movie, it's not baseball related? No, I'm, I would say I'm not a huge baseball movie guy. There's a few that I really like, but you know, I haven't seen all the, you, it would be almost embarrassing to go through like the classics and tell you the ones I have and haven't seen. Um, but yeah, major league is probably my favorite. Yeah, Those okay. two are probably my, my favorite ones. You're a bench warmers guy too, right? I watched bench warmers. I was at the right age for that. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I, I'm not a big sports movie guy. You know, I just knocked out Remember the Titans for the first time last week. Love you. That doesn't do it for me a lot. I like The Replacements. The Replacements is probably one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not I'm not the biggest sports guy. Got gotcha. you. Um, Eric Kratz is with our, our friends at Foul Territory, who are also brought to you by BetMGM. And um I thought he said something really fascinating last week. They were talking about the Dodger, you know, development system and how perennially that is one of the best farm systems in all of baseball. And the the sentence that really jumped out to, I think a lot of people was they treat their minor leaguers like major leaguers or most more so than other organizations. What does that look like? Is that chef for each affiliate? Is that, um, you know, sleeper bus instead of coach bus? What does that exactly look like? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's it's probably even improved since I was in the minor leagues, but we were kind of the first team that I remember, the first that I had ever heard of, of all organic food in the minor leagues, which was a big thing. Gabe Kapler was our farm director, and, and obviously if you look at him, you understand that he eats pretty organic, <laughs> I imagine. Um, but that that was the big push at that time, and, and then – you know, getting the right people and having the right infrastructure, all of that stuff is important. And um, yeah, I would have to imagine, you know, I I know we treat our guys well. I imagine the size of the market helps too, right? Do we rent two buses for the AAA team or do we fly them, right? And and those kind of things can have big, you know, pay big dividends, I think, over the course of a season. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've also talked about like Otani and, and the Angels making a, you know, kind of a statement and not trading, right? Like yeah. same thing. You're making a statement that you care about all the all the guys in the organization. And, you know, I've got to imagine on, on the minor league side, if you're going to make maybe $2,000 a month less with us, say it's 20000 or 18000 some guys will probably choose to take a little bit less to be uh, treated a, a different way, right? And, and so – uh, you're paying dividends that way in terms of being able to get some guys back and keep developing them. And, um, you know, you see a lot of guys that get traded back or get brought back into the fold in LA. Right. And, and they're, I'm so glad to be back here. Right. And um, so I, I think just kind of evidence that, that that stuff matters. Right. You're a smart guy that likes to get into like the weeds of the, the analytics and, and the numbers. And we've broke that down, but you know, maybe not every single player, one maybe has that background or two has that thirst for knowledge that way. But a lot of the reason reason why is usually they just don't understand it. Uh, how much of it is just explaining you kind of what some of these numbers mean? Cause they also mentioned the, everybody gets the iPad and, and everybody has that, you know, backend server where you can kind of get all the numbers on yourself, your opponents, whatever it may be. Um, and some guys don't use that. I'm sure a lot more do now. Um, one, was that something that was there for you? Obviously it wouldn't be to the degree it is now, but was that something that was there for you? And then how much of it is kind of explaining some of these advanced metrics in layman's terms so that players can leverage that to, to give themselves an advantage? Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I to be honest with you, I didn't know any of my spin rates or verts or anything like that until the big leagues, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think I kind of had an interesting education that way in terms of you know, trusting the people around me, telling me that this is good, this isn't as good, this is what we need to work on, and just doing that, and then them seeing the improvement on their end, right? But now the the younger player, the minor league player now can go get a track man and probably throw it on track man all winter, right? So they're it, it's just a little bit different. You know, I think the familiarity with it is huge, but I think it is a it is a different time now in in the lower you know in the minor leagues than than it certainly was when I was there just in terms of the uh, kind of ready use of it it was kind of when I was going through the minor it was more of like a year to year like hey this pitch was really good because of this and then you're like okay cool I'll, you know I'll keep doing that right yeah. um, 
But I think also, especially the higher level minor leagues you get to, it's more about uh, performance-based analytics as opposed to like your spin and all this stuff. Like mm. a big one I remember for two weeks in AAA as a reliever, I threw nothing but OO slider. Why? Because during the season, people were like three for 40 if I threw ball or strike slider. As long as I threw it OO, and that we we saw that as an advantage, right? It didn't matter what the slider was doing. It was just simply it was setting up bats and at bats in a good way for me. And um, you know, I think that's some of the stuff that might be a little bit lost these days. Yeah. Um, we're asking a pitcher to talk about hitting development, but I want to mm-hmm. pivot to Nolan Shanowell, who just debuted with the LA Angels after 95 minor league plate appearances. I think about 20 came at the complex. And uh, this was uh, an Aram topic here. He was like, I got to ask Walker Buehler about this. So Aram is the question, what are your thoughts? Or, or yeah, is just, just thoughts, question mark. No, <laughs> which is my least favorite thing that we get on Twitter, by the way, for episodes. How do you but, feel about, yeah. Yeah, no, like, there's, there's this obvious push of you know pitching prospects through the minor leagues because and we've talked about that and i actually want to get a little bit into that as well um because you you don't want to waste bullets and you know i feel like you can you can work with guys at challenging levels and the stuff is so good nowadays it makes sense hitting is a little different as i i know you know and like this is something that is just kind of changing with certain teams certain teams not as much um but i thought this was like by far one of the most outrageous things I've seen done in terms of like a promotion. And that's me saying it. So like, it's okay. I, I just want your thoughts on this because it's not just that he went from, you know, college pretty much straight to the bigs. It's that he went from conference USA to lead off for the LA angels. And, and I guess my, my question is if he performs well, do you think that this changes the thought of any teams or anything like that? Because I did see some people out there trying to say, this is a good thing. This makes sense. I don't know if it does. I think it's a little crazy, but again, like I don't think you're complaining as a player to get your clock started and get an opportunity to bat ahead of Shohei Otani, but I just kind of wanted your thoughts on just the whole situation and and if you think that being that aggressive could ever have any negative impacts on any player, not specifically to to Shanwell, of course, but like just in general, this quick of a push. Um I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's all the old school thoughts on all this stuff. Like, is he ready? Whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, like the Angels have were seemingly trying to to win and then came out of the break bad. And, you know, in some way, they're just giving that guy like an accelerated development. Right. So he's going to be able to walk into spring training next year, knowing what went good, what went bad. And, and you know, if they're really excited about that player, like I, I get it. I just saw Cruz moved up, skipped high A, like there are talents like that and and guys that, you know, seemingly need, you know, want to, and, and can be pushed. You know, I, I started a year in high and ended up in, in the big leagues in September. So, I, you know, I've kind of lived that, that life, right. I guess, or that experience, but yeah, not, not quite like, like this guy, but you know what, he came up, he got a hit. I know he seemed was part of that triple play was aware. didn't seem like too big of a thing for him. And, um, you know, if anything, though, he's probably he'll still be a rookie next year. So he's just going to have kind of a two month leg up in terms of knowing what what this thing is all about. Right. And, and uh, you know, Anaheim has always kind of brought guys up quick. I, I know they have some reliever arms that they brought up really oh, quick. Yeah. Um, you know, that's obviously the more typical route is the the pitcher that gets called up early. But, you know, it is what it is. I don't, you know, I can't judge you know another no. team doing it I, I think it's really quick but at the end of the day like if you get that guy 60 at bats and he walks in a better player next year and, and makes your opening day roster and that helps your team like so you know power to you uh on the flip side sorry jack one one quick thing is i, I just watched paul skeens throw today and he threw two innings in low a and i i assume he's going to wherever he goes next either it'll be really quick or it'll be you know kind of that double jump like we saw from dylan cruz Skeens was like clearly working on something, which was the craziest part. Like he threw, I think four changeups in a row on two different occasions, which is, that was a pitch he barely threw at LSU on the pitching side. How, how much do you think we could like, how likely do you think it is that we'll start to see those kind of guys, especially the college arms fast tracked. And like, you just made it, made an example of yourself of being a guy that was fast tracked, but like that was somewhat rare. 
And now I feel like it might almost become more of the norm because of arm injuries and, and just the volatility of the position. Uh, where do you think that the future of pitching prospects is? Cause Jack and I've talked about this a lot uh, of just, you know, is, is the pitching prospect almost becoming less of a, a thing. And it's more like, if you believe in this arm, like get them up there real quick. Yeah. I mean, I, I think not to keep talking about analytics and I feel like we do it every week, but you can really kind of, you know, apples to apples compare a fastball now where you yeah. used to be the eye test and velo, right? So you're getting probably a more accurate representation or or understanding of what certain guys can really do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you strike a guy out in low A, you strike a guy out in low A, right? But if you do it at 24 vert or whatever, some crazy throw, like the assumption is that that will work in double A as well. And triple A, as opposed to kind of back in the day, it was like, all right, he's doing good in low A. All right, is he going to do better at the next one and the next one? And and I think now you can kind of, uh, well, I guess it's kind of a horse racing thought, right? It's like a horse wins by 50 lengths against five horrible horses. That doesn't mean that horse is good, right? But if he wins by 50 lengths and the time is unbelievable, that horse can run, right? It's the same thing where you're in some way in the minor leagues, guys are really competing against themselves and and then the guys in the big leagues. And, and I think you're seeing this little bit less segmentation of, of organizations. And um, I, th- I think part of that is that there's not as many minor leaguers anymore. Right. Yeah. So the teams are less, the steps are seem the ladder is shorter and um, it makes a lot more sense. And, and the, the difference between high A and double A is probably not as much as, as it might've used to be. Your game log looks a little funny in 2018. And my mind was going to, the idea that if Shanowell really like fails at this level, and I don't know what failure looks like, it could look sub 200, it could look, you know, OPS in the 500s, whatever it may look like. And I'm rooting for him to succeed. We all are rooting for him to succeed. But if it does go poorly, if he is overmatched by Major League Baseball, like just getting into the, and I don't even think it's an ego thing, but getting into the confidence level of Major League Baseball players, guys that get there, I'm around guys that are optioned all the time in Indianapolis. And there are guys that handle it in a bunch of different ways. I'm trying to figure out. So you got optioned out of spring training in 2018. um, And then you had a weird pop-up start in Rancho in early July in 18. What happened there? That was a rehab start. That was a rehab. Okay. Um, But like, I don't know. You got optioned. You had a a decent bit of time. You were September call-up in 17. Um, how did that feel for you? Like to, to get that taste and then go back to the minor leagues? Um, I, I guess for me, the, the part that made it easier was I could say, well, I'm not a, I, I was a reliever and, and I'm being optioned because I'm not one of the five starters. Right. And also if you look at that team, there was some, we had some real veteran pit starting pitching, right. Rich Hill and Rue and Kirsch and strip. And, you know, we had a, there were guys that you weren't just going to, they weren't just going to get rid of them for me. Right. Uh, but some guys get hurt. And, and I, I think I made three starts in AAA and, and then came up. So, uh, you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds on, on the CBA and service time and all of that stuff, but you know, all of that stuff's a factor. And, and I'm probably a little more understanding than most players of that stuff, just because I've done the union. I've kind of always been a devil's advocate kind of thinker. Right. Yeah, And so for me, it's like, all right, well, if I was the front office of this team and I was managing my career, how would I do that? And and kind of seemingly what they did is, is what I probably would have done as well. No, no matter how odd I think the system is with that. Yeah. That, that, that's the hard, like, that's the hard double-edged sword of it because it's like, yeah, I'm good. I'd want another year of me too. Right. Like that's, that's kind of the thought of it, but you know, on the flip side, it's, it's it's the weird business nature of it. Um, that was the interesting thought too, because I guess for you, you could look at it from that lens where it's like, it's not as much to do with my performance from multiple angles. Um, no. But just kind of to wrap a bow on the conversation, uh, you know, again, like if Sean Wells struggles, like, okay, you, you, you're, you, it would, almost every human being in that position would probably struggle. So you can probably compartmentalize that and say, hey, you know, I was put in kind of a sink or swim situation and and how, you know, I, I actually swam a little bit. Um, obviously, we don't know the kid. You don't know the kid. 
can't really speak to his thought process, but do do you feel like that is enough to kind of say, Hey, this probably isn't going to stifle somebody's confidence, like getting an opportunity that early, even if you struggle, do you almost feel like that's more of a vote of confidence than like, Oh, I struggled. I don't belong. It's more like, not only did they think I belong, they thought I could belong there way before anybody else would normally even get a shot. Yeah. I mean, I think some organizations are very oriented under sink or swim or push a guy until he fails. Right. Um, other organizations want to push guy, even when they push him, they want to push him so that they will fail and get better. Right. There's, there's organizations that want you to fail in the big leagues and there's, there's orgs that can't afford that. Right. I, I think you watch kind of how we've handled rookies and, and brought guys up that, you could make the argument already before they got called up, but when they did get called up, they were very, very successful. And I mean, dude, uh, good example of that. Sorry to cut you off. A good example of that is Ryan Nota, who yeah. went over to Oakland and mashed, and he was in the yeah. Dodgers system forever. Right. Yeah, we had him for a while. You know, I think even Corey was a very fast high school pick, but like was probably ready. Like was fine. Um, Julio, we threw every level you could at him, and at at all these crazy ages and. He didn't fail. And then it's like, all right, let's go. Like yeah. his only real failure ever came pretty early in the big leagues. And then he went down, figured it out and been himself kind of since then. Right. So uh, I think that's going back to kind of the, how they treat minor league guys, like that's getting to know the people in your organization and, and knowing them as people and knowing what makes them tick and um, how they handle failure, all that kind of stuff kind of wraps into these little really individual kind of outlier situations that we can sit and pick apart all day. But, you know, if, if they knew that kid better than you would think they do in a couple months and loved everything about him and said, Hey, we need a first baseman. Like we think this kid's better than whoever we got in triple A, like whatever, you know, let's jump to Julio Rodriguez, uh, 17 hits in a four game stretch. That has never been done before ever. Um, yeah, it's really hot. We, we were talking about, this guy in the intro. And I mean, he did not play center field before spring training in 2022. And now he's one of the better center fielders in all of baseball. Uh, We've talked about the freaks before we've talked about Ellie. We've talked about you, you know, coming up with O'Neill Cruz when he was a Dodger farmhand, but um, have you ever been around somebody that has like stood on their head quite like this over a stretch? Like what the hell is going on with you? Um, not not kind of this short term, like a week, right? I mean, if obviously guys have had good weeks, but I think Cody in 2019 for the first half was probably the most prolonged, scary, good thing I've seen. Um, Corey Seeger in the playoffs in 2020 was probably the hottest I've seen someone that in, that involves like the clutch part and the stakes are that high and that it was it was pretty impressive and um you know he got a couple mvp trophies to to prove it but um yeah i don't i don't think i've really ever seen anyone quite just go and every time he swung you knew something good was going to happen quite like quite like that stretch how about i mean in a way it's it's not quite the same way but i'm looking at like freddie freeman's last 30 games he's hitting 380 um This is, we talked about him a couple episodes ago and I'd been wanting to to pick your brain just from like the behind the scenes professional perspective here, because this is a guy that's going to turn 34 years old and in, in, in a month and it already had had an incredible career and somehow is, is getting better. How does somebody like Freddie Freeman get better at, at, in his age 33 season like this? I mean, this is on pace to be maybe his best campaign ever. Yeah. Um, I think a big part of it, right? Somebody asked, this is kind of a full circle thing. Somebody asked me what I thought about Arias and if he had a chance to hit 400 before the season. And I said, listen, man, he's probably got the best chance of anyone we've seen in a long time, but he's in a new division, right? And he does he hasn't seen those arms. And so he doesn't have the familiarity. I don't think it would happen this year. I almost really proved me wrong, right? But I think for Freddie, a guy who really trusts his eyes, knows what he sees, has played a long time. Like this is the second year that he's in our, in this division and, and kind of has some familiarity with these guys and knows how they're going to try and get him out. I I think also Freddie obviously hits the ball the other way a lot, but he also is a big left-handed hitter that has power. Like the shift changing probably has benefited him in some way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Corey Seager is another guy that it's benefited for sure. I mean, he's yeah. always been like the 280, 290 guy with power, and this year both the power and the average are up, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you start seeing these guys that you look back and you're like, man, that's like a really, really good swing. And I think they're getting rewarded now. Guys that hit the ball everywhere are really getting rewarded. And um, I think to some extent, the guys that roll over a lot of balls that into the shift, who you thought this might really help, it hasn't helped quite as much. Um, You know, I see the shift change as more, less about not having guys over here and more having a spread, right? There, it seemingly is a lot more green when people are spread out, right? And and so you you just see these guys that stay inside the baseball, hit homers to the pull side when things are hung, like the kind of traditional baseball swing are, are having really, really good years. Something about your guy, Corey. Um, Arm, I don't know if you saw this exact number, but I saw he's on pace for, what, the highest WRC plus by a shortstop of like the modern era or something like that. I mean, this guy's putting together the best offensive season by a shortstop. I, maybe yeah, that, ever. I, that was, I mean, I don't know if that was, there, I, I had a tweet about that. I think I just pulled, I just pulled it up. I was, um, I, I, I queued it up just from 2000, uh, the year 2000, the highest WRC plus seasons um, with minimum 350 plate appearances. It's Corey Seager at 189, Troy Tulowitzki at 170. He got hurt that year. I don't know if that was the year where he took the bat to the wall and and messed his, his oh. arm up or not, but it, he cut his season short that year. And then it's A-Rod, A-Rod, A-Rod Tatis. Um, yeah. But it's Seager by so much. It's 189 to 170 to 159. Um, it, it's unbelievable. I, I've been wanting to write like a dive a, into him. He's doing this with a thumb injury too. Like he got yeah. hurt against us, which kind of is even wilder to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to write a piece on this, Walker. Like <laughs> I wanted to just kind of dive into it. And I, I like other than this could be the best shortstop season we've seen in, in however long. Like there's so many different things, I guess you could dive into it, but I, I kind of want to like kick it to you. What's the story with Corey Seager this season? Like what is what is it to you? Like if you could describe what he's doing this year with yeah, this. I mean, team. I wish I, I I wish I could see it in front of me, right? To yeah, you know, I watch our games and, and that's kind of it. Um I I guess my only opinion is really based on like kind of having played with him. It's just He's got a really, really good baseball swing. He hits a lot of balls hard. He mishits a lot of balls hard in the right places, right? So the one that he doesn't hit for a double, but he, like, is close. He still hits it hard and hits it in good spots. I think Freddie does that really well, too, mm-hmm. where seemingly every ball that he hits but doesn't smoke is in the right kind of lanes, right? Uh, I guess you kind of liken it to golf where, all right, I can aim here. I'm going to try and draw it oh, it didn't draw, but it still lands on the green, right? Like they just have a good spray pattern on their misses. And um, then they both obviously have, you know, power when they when they clip balls. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of, yeah, the key to successful hitting as much as I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah. Then you you know. knew. Dude, we've already played your home run on, on social media and all that. So, yes, you're a beast. We get it. Um <laughs> want to wrap with Shane McClanahan because like, and it sucks that we're wrapping with this, but like such is the nature of the beast. Like this guy was arguably the best pitcher in the American league, maybe the best pitcher in all of baseball pre all-star break. And um, I mean, he, he's due for his second TJ seven years after his first, he got his first when he was a freshman in South Florida and, and he's getting his second here. And we were talking about it end of last week. It's, I mean, DeGrom this year just got his second TJ. Evaldi's a two TJ guy, which you've talked about. You're a two TJ guy. And for somebody that is in, you know, thankfully the, I guess you're approaching the final stages of your rehab process from your second, but if you could, you know, talk to Shane, give him any sort of advice on going through this again, because we've talked about the frustration that you experienced there. Like Mm -hmm. if you can offer any sort of, you know, advice or encouragement to Shane McClanahan, what would that look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know that I'm in a position to do that. Like, I think it's just indicative of kind of where we're at in baseball, right? Like, Clannan's been a Cy Young guy. Like, he wouldn't trade the success he's had the past two or three years to not deal with this, right? And I think I think the biggest thing for me has been kind of accepting that, like, I chose to try and throw a ball 100 miles an hour every time I throw it, right? And 
there is inherent risk in that, that you are going to get hurt, right? Like, you know, we've yet to see someone that has thrown a hundred his whole career and never gotten hurt. Like, it's just really, really difficult to do. Um, so it, it's kind of part of the deal, right? Like, you know, I, I guess the big thing for him is that he's not at University of South Florida in a dorm room rehabbing. He's a professional baseball player with a professional baseball player's salary and yeah. gets to go and, and live in a house and make himself comfortable and, and find a way to make the next 12 or 14 months as, as kind of beneficial and, and impactful for him for his arm as he can. Right. And, uh, you know, learning kind of certain things that help you recover and, and all of this that you probably didn't have the financial access to in 2016 or 15 or whenever yeah. that you do now. And, and embracing that, I think is kind of the only thing you can do and, and realize that you wouldn't trade whatever success you've had to not have had this surgery. Right. Yeah. It, it is what it is. It sucks. You feel like shit because you are getting paid more than you've ever gotten paid because you're in the ARB deal. Right. And you're having, you've been having great seasons and, you had dreams of making a billion dollars and all of this stuff. And, and it kind of goes on, goes on pause. Right. But I, I don't think that means, you know, the, you know, the disc comes out, right. Like it's just paused and, and you give yourself 14 months to, to work and to be smart and to do a podcast and, and get back. Yeah. 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 And I like, this is something that, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, you, it's a way more extreme example, but when you mentioned like it comes with the territory of being nasty, really like, and being physically gifted and being able to push your body to the limits that a human body is being able to push to, I think of, of the NFL. And, and that's a more extreme example. And, um, or even, you know, like UFC, but that's a little different. Cause like they, those guys let their bodies go and they, they sign up for it. Yeah. yeah. But the, the NFL, like these guys kind of like, they know what they're signing up for and they know that, it might be a short shelf life, but they're willing to go all out to to maximize yeah. that that shelf life. And I think that there's the, the pitchers are the closest thing to that from like a, a physical shelf life. This wasn't on the rundown and we can just use this maybe as a tease for the next episode, because I don't know if I want to totally open this can of worms if, if, if it's going to end up being something way deeper. But I'm seeing conversation about the pitch clock and and people's belief on on how that can have an impact i see jack shaking his head we don't need to get into that we don't even need to talk about it but i i just like i I, i'd be remiss to not like mention that it's being discussed i don't have a position on it because i'm not a a professional pitcher i think it's a little bit of confirmation bias because guys have been getting hurt all the time forever and we've been talking about the tommy john epidemic and and arm issues forever so i think it's kind of silly to blame the pitch clock but scientifically, more pitches in a short period of time, if you're not in shape, could have a negative effect. Like, do we even want to open that can of worms or should I shut well, up? I, I think what I would what I would want to see is on the specific guys that are getting hurt, right? Like, how fast were they normally without the pitch clock? Because a limitation is not necessarily a limitation unless your average time is more than what you're being limited to, right? So – like if I was 13 seconds per and now it's, I'm only allowed to have 15, but I averaged 13 my whole career. Yeah. I don't think the pitch clock is a problem. Yeah. Right. If, if it, it was, was like Kenley, if it was like Kenley yeah. Jansen going down, like, yeah, then you're like, all right. Like, yeah, I could see it. You know, I'll, I'll hear that one out. That's a good right, point. But then, but then the argument also is that he's 30, you know, whatever. Well, well, no, also like he's a, he's a big fella. Like yeah. Kenley works for, Kenley works a lot harder than people would give him credit for runs and does all this stuff. But if you got guys that don't take care of themselves, like, and you know, like Kenley wasn't out there huffing and puffing, trying to get back on the mound. Right. No, no. We've seen those guys that are not in great shape. And so if that guy gets hurt because of the pitch clock, like kind of is what it is. Right. If you go and try and run a marathon without prepping for, you're probably going to pull your hamstring. Right. And, and I, I don't think that, the timing stuff was really a surprise to us, yeah. right? It, you know, we kind of knew that, that it was coming. And, you know, if you're concerned, do a couple more sprints and, and hopefully yeah. it'll go well. But, like, I love that point. I just think the amount of money that guys make playing a game or a living 
kind of, I, I'm very unsympathetic even to myself about the challenges of that, right? Yeah. Like, I love that. Figure it out, bro. Yeah. <laughs> do That's- whatever you gotta do. But if you're gonna be, if you get hurt and you're costing your team $28 million because you're hurt, because you weren't in good enough shape to handle a pitch clock, like, I don't think it's the pitch clock's fault, right? Yeah. It's not like they're asking you to do like rapid fire pitches, just like every two seconds. Like, right. And then you like, think about back, like some of the stuff we used to do in college, like our, our coach was big on controlling your heart rate, right? Which is a big part of pitching and pressure and dealing with it. We would throw like five pitches in the bullpen, sprint to dead center field <laughs> and back, throw five more pitches because you had to learn how to like, all right, my heart's going crazy. How do I calm the sound? I slow down. It's probably not great for your arm, but like 92 mile an hour fastball where I'm under control, likely better than 94 when I'm not like, you know, it's, it's not all just about the arm and all of it, you know, it takes your brain and your body and your heart and, and whatever to kind of be able to throw a ball to an area like this. And, you know, I, I, I do. So I think, Jack, I want your thoughts on this because it's funny, like just being in the media space, like it be, it's become like such a like conversation of does the pitch clock affect injuries or does it not? Not the nuance that Walker just hit on here, which is, is there a preventable aspect, even if the pitch clock is affecting players that it's just like, get in better shape. I don't think anybody's really presented that point, right? I, I haven't really seen that of like, you had ample notice, you, you had the, you know, it's like when you get your math packet over summer, like- if you're like, man, this math was harder than I thought it would be. Like you didn't look at it until August. Like that's on right. you. Like that, that's kind of, I never really thought about that lens. It was just always more like a science argument of is the pitch clock negatively affecting or not? Well, I, that, that are was, you allowing I it think, to? I think that was a lot of guys argument with the sticky stuff, right? When they, yeah. when they do that in the middle of the season, all of us were extremely concerned about our health. Yeah. Like, we had no time to prepare for that. They gave us what, like a three week buffer or something. But like, listen, man, like if you're using something and now you're not the grip, pressure, the grip pressure on every single one of your throws has to be different. Your wrist is now way has to change the way that it moves because if you want to throw the same pitches, like uh, for me, I, I think it's a, it's an injury issue because you're holding, you have to hold the ball tighter, right? Yeah. And so we talk about forearms and, you, you and guys' forearms are going like, feel that. like we're throwing harder than we ever have, meaning that all of us are moving faster and having to hold the ball harder than we ever have. And then you take stuff away that people have used for the past 50 years and you wonder why forearm issues are up. Like to me, that's more the issue, right? Huh. Um. Do I have knowledge of that stuff? Do I know what that feels like? Maybe, possibly, allegedly. But, like, it is an issue. And to do it in the middle of the season is a problem. So every, as stern as I can be against people worrying about the pitch clock because we had, you know, ample time, means that I can be that stern against the way that that was handled. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And the only other guy that I've heard kind of express that thought with the adhesive is Glasnow. When Glasnow got hurt, Tyler Glasnow, I mean, snapped. Like, I was like, that was a bar, dude. But I, he was he was saying what Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach of the Rays, was like, you got to hold it like an egg. And then he used the term like, you got to choke the shit out of it. So, no, I, I think that's spot on. Also, yeah. I kind of love that exercise at Fandy. That feels like elevated, like orange theory fitness oh, yeah. type stuff. Like we, you were- we would do that. We would have your whole team yelling at you while you threw bullpens, like <laughs> one on the pitching staff. No, it's, it's, your, very it's very basketball adjacent. It's very basketball adjacent. Secrets that your college teammates know that other people don't. <laughs> screaming right. screaming them at you and yeah now did you do that outside because I know Hawkins is right on campus. No, we did we did that one in the lab. Good stuff. Yeah. Good call. Um, I I'll wrap with one quick trivia question on yourself. What do you think the hardest hit ball is of your career? Minor leagues or major leagues? Hardest exit velocity off of your bat? One oh four. There's a couple one oh fours. Yeah, Homer in St. Louis was one oh four. The one yeah, there's one ball you hit harder than that. 
by a decimal. Double in Miami. Same year. Single. Single to right field, probably. To left field. Hold one. I don't know that I ever thought I pulled a ball ever in my career. Who was it off you, of? You got a 104.8 off Merrill Kelly. Single really? in the left field. We'll I'm get sending you the video later. <laughs> I'll send you the video. Three, two count, two on. I don't, remember, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the hardest ball you've ever hit. Yeah, I have no recollection of that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I blacked out. It was crazy. All right, Walker. <laughs> You're awesome. Appreciate you. And we'll, uh, we, we can get into more stuff next week. Cool. Perfect. Sounds good, buddy.